uh, the, uh, the value of history. So that was my, my, uh, my document that I was working on with, with possible introductions. Uh, introduction number five was saying, just close your eyes and picture yourself at a wild party. All right? And so those were the five introductions just for future references. Would any of those worked? Which one would you have said worked the best for you that would have caught your attention? Number five? All right. Uh, well, you're here for the big birthday party. Is that what the birthday party was this week, Rosa? Is that a picture of it? Awesome. Uh, but, but, you know, so we, we struggle sometimes getting people's attention. But God, in our lesson that we're looking at today, had no problem getting people's attention had no problem with an introduction. Uh, the scene is this, is that it was a wild party, uh, a royal party, uh, being thrown by a guy by the name of King Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, 500 years before Jesus or so. Uh, the, the wine is flowing. Uh, the women are flaunting. He's got a thousand famous people who have all gathered. It is the party of the year, if not the party of the century. And all of a sudden, God interrupts. He interrupts with just a floating hand sitting in the middle of the room. You know, and I, they always say you should pray boldly. I thought, man, maybe I should just pray boldly. And God, send a floating hand to worship today. I don't know if that would have freaked you out, but it would have got your attention, right? And those strings attached, no illusions, just boom, a floating hand. No arm attached, just a hand and fingers. That's what the king saw. And he became ghostly pale, not sure what he's looking at. Am I looking at a ghost? What's going on here? And, and so he, you know, and then what, what really freaks him out is that this, this floating hand floats to the wall and writes a secret message, the handwriting on the wall. And he can't read it. It doesn't look like anything to him. It, it, it looks foreign. It was. It was a foreign language. And, and so he, he's, he's all worried about it. He's like, man, we've got to figure out what this said. We gotta, let, let's get the, the best decoders uh, in, the, in, the, in the country uh, to come and, and see if they can figure what this is out, what this is. And so call the, call the astrologers, call the enchanters, call the psychics, whoever it takes. And I'll even offer a reward. I'll, I'll offer some royal bling, and I'll offer some royal swag, and I'll even make them the number three person in the whole country. And so with that reward on the line, you can imagine that there are many people lining up, trying, you know, willing to take, you know, try their hand at figuring out what the hand was writing on the wall. And so astrologer number one comes in and he, and he looks what's on the wall and he said, nope, I can't figure it out. And then enchanter comes in and nope, I can't figure it out. And then, you know, psychic comes in and nope, I can't figure it out. And one by one by one, they're all striking out. By now this time, you know, his the king is even getting more freaked out and he becomes even paler and, and so now his, his legs are growing limp and his, his, his knees are knocking and, and he, he's just, what in all the world does this mean? And that's when the queen steps forward. And we don't know exactly what the queen's relationship is to King Belshazzar. We, 
At this time of his life, of his reign, we're not sure if it's his wife or if it's maybe the queen from the previous generation. So it might be his mom, it might be his stepmom, it might be his aunt, but whoever the royal point is, she's the queen. And she's got a good memory. She says, you know what, Belshazzar? I remember when Nebuchadnezzar was king. Nebuchadnezzar, if you were with us last week, he's the guy that built that big statue and told the three men in the fiery furnace to bow down to it. He said, when Nebuchadnezzar was king, every once in a while he would get some dreams or there'd be some riddles he couldn't figure out. And he'd call in a guy by the name of Daniel to, uh, to interpret the dreams, to solve the riddles. And he could always do it. And he's like, well, Belshazzar's like, what are we waiting for? Call in Daniel. And so they summon for Daniel. And Daniel comes and he sees the handwriting on the wall. But before he gives, you know, the thousand people that are gathered there a reading lesson, or before he gives them a handwriting lesson, he says, let me give you a history lesson. Yeah, I remember working for King Nebuchadnezzar. Man, he was, a, he was actually a good king. Very smart king, very wise king, very powerful king. He, he was a very effective. Whatever he wanted to get done, got done. He was well-respected by the, the other people surrounding him, other kings and queens. And in fact, they kind of feared him. And yet, this is what so often happens. Whenever God pours out gifts on people, those gifts can become curses. And that's kind of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He had all these gifts from God, but then what did that lead to? That led to arrogance. That led to pride. It led to independence instead of dependence on God. And so, so as his prize rose, what did God say? Oh, man, i gotta, I got to knock this guy down a notch or two. And so Nebuchadnezzar was deposed. Deposed from his throne, but that was, that was only step one. He also became insane, and he went and lived with wild donkeys, and he ate grass like he was oxen until he acknowledged that the Most High God was the one who was actually in control of the kingdom and not him. But Belshazzar, you know that. You were around for that. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. And yet, you didn't learn from history, did you? Yet, and this is what he goes on to say, yet you have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand in your life, holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is another form of parson. You see parson up top. Same word, just a little different tense. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar 
king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. So that's what the handwriting on the wall said. In a different language. It was written in Aramaic. Let's, let's kind of look at each of those words and what, is, what do they mean. First of all, many, actually it gets repeated here. Many, many. Um, it, you can see what, how the Bible defines it. God has numbered the days of your reign. Uh, maybe that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. We, we still use that same phrase, right? Just like we use the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall, we still use the phrase, oh, your days are numbered. Right? If, if your boss comes and visits you in your cubicle and says, your days are numbered, you're not thinking, oh, I've got a financial report waiting for me from the company CPA. No, you know it's time to start renewing your resume and, and putting it on ZipRecruiter, right? Your days are numbered. So maybe that one doesn't take a whole lot of, of explanation, what the secret, quote-unquote, secret message was for the king. Your days are numbered. The second one, tekel, that one maybe takes a little bit more explanation. Uh, the way it's explained here is you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Uh, to me, uh, first glance, it almost sounds positive. I want to be found wanting when I step on a scale, all right? Woo, I'm a little, little lightweight. That would be better. Uh, but understand, uh, the scales in Daniel's day were uh, used a little bit more prevalently than they are today. Instead of just stepping on and getting the morning weigh-in before the shower, uh, scales were part of everyday life. No matter where you went, you, you harvest the grain, you take it to the mill, you, you put it on the scale. Or if you wanted to pay for something, they would have a, a, like a, a scale there and they would put a standard measurement on this side and then you'd, you'd pour in your, your shekels or your gold coins on this side until it, it balanced out. And so if you f- fell short, and this is what he's saying here, He's saying, God's got a standard, and you didn't match it. You fell short. There wasn't enough that you brought to the table. And so you have been found wanting. You, you fell short of God's spiritual standards. You're a lightweight. And so, so your, your days are numbered. Why? Because you've been found wanting. And now what's the result? Paris, the more specific result, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And, and so he gets very specific here that, that because of your pride, what you have as king is going to be torn apart from you, torn away from you. And, and he even gets more specific. Instead of just saying you're, you're, you're found wanting, you haven't met God's standards, if you go back just this one phrase, he says, what was your big issue? You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You know, and I think that phrase makes us just take pause uh, just a little bit. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. I I think we understand especially that first half. We, we say all the time, oh yeah, my life is in God's hands, right? My time is in God's hands. I say that. I've heard you say that. Uh, we, we acknowledge 
that God sets the beginning and end of life for us. He, he determines when we exit this world. And we say, yeah, that's why we also know what it means. You're, our days are numbered, not by me. They're numbered outside of me. They're, they're numbered by God. So I don't think we have, we have such a problem acknowledging that our time in this world ultimately is in God's hands. The second half of this phrase, though, is I think what we maybe subliminally forget. That so are our ways, our activities, our actions. See, God isn't just concerned about the the beginning date and the end date on our tombstone. He's also concerned about that dash in between. What goes on in our ways? And and that's that's really what we see uh, Belshazzar struggling with. You know, that, okay, maybe God, my time is in your hands, but, but what was he doing? For, for him in particular, he said, he, he, he adopted the attitude, and this is what we maybe do. We say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to act the way that I want to act. It's up to me how I, how I live my life. God maybe determines when my life begins and ends, but I get to determine how I live. And so for Belshazzar, what did that look like? That looked like, well, if I want to drink, if I want to get drunk from the goblets that were set apart to honor God, I'm going to get drunk using the goblets that were set apart to honor God. And so are a thousand of my closest friends. What does it look like for us? You know, what are the things that you and I go through every day in life and say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or I'm going to say what I want to say. Nobody can stop me. You know, maybe it's something similar to Belshazzar. If I want to get drunk, I'm going to get drunk. If I want to gossip, I'm going to gossip. If I want to, you know, if I want to betray a friend, I'm going to betray a friend. If I'm going to cut corners at work, I'm going to cut corners at work. If I want to be lazy, ah, all right, I'm going to be lazy. If I want to fill in the blank, I'm going to fill in the blank. What is that for us? And what's the result? You know, what, what Daniel really brings to point here, he says, and, and, he, and he shows us that we need a history lesson too. You know, he gave Belshazzar a history lesson. He said, hey, I'm going to tell you about Nebuchadnezzar. Let's learn from him. Our history lesson is looking at Belshazzar. He didn't honor God with his ways, with his life. And, you know, if there's something to walk away from this is, is to ask ourselves, okay, as I go about my life, am I honoring God in this and this and this and this and this? Acknowledging that everything that I do, everything that I say, everything, every way that I act, that too happens in his hands. It's not just my beginning and end, but my daily activities happen in the hands of God. And so what Daniel points out here, he says, are you honoring God? Are we honoring God with our daily activities, with our thoughts, words, and our actions? And if we're not, well, what could we expect? What's the warning that happens here? Is that, is that those very hands in which all this, this, and this, and this happens, what should it do? It should it should." Close down, it should, 
it should, you know, put its pressure on us. It should squash us to death. Because we too are found tekel. You know, we are found wanting. Uh, we, we don't measure up to God's standards of perfection. Where, where he says, okay, here's the scales of my law. How have you measured up to that? Oh, yeah, you've, you are found lacking. Or, or you know, if, if he puts the standard of perfection on this side and he puts all of our good works over on this side of the scale, are they equal? No. We don't meet God's perfection. And so we, we should understand that, okay, the, the same warning that was sounded to Belshazzar applies to us, that we too should be Perez, we should, too should be, should be cut up or divided, separated from God's kingdom. Or to, to use the picture that's used here, that, you know, what happened to him, he was slain. And I always think of that picture of, if you, I didn't put a picture up here, but do you know the picture of Lady Justice? You know, where she's blindfolded and she's got the scales. What else does she have? She's got the sword. So that if we fall short of meeting the scales, that's, that's the threat, is that we should be cut down. We should be slain. That's the warning. That's the history lesson that Daniel is giving us today. That's the handwriting on the wall. That yes, our days are numbered, that we are found wanting, that we should be divided, separated from the kingdom of God. But we're not, are we? We're not. Why? Absolutely. Because that same Jesus in whose hand all of our activities happen is the same one who was slain for us. That same God who is the God of justice is also the God of love. So that now instead of threatening us, Paris or Parson, you're going to be separated to me from our kingdom. Instead of that threat coming to us, oh, we get the promise. The promise of paradise. He says, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. Not cut off from my kingdom. Or you think of tackle, you know, where, where we're always found wanting. Yet what did Jesus do? He saw when he, when he came to this earth and he ran his, his dash, you know, that 33-year dash here on earth between his birth and his, his death and resurrection. He saw that we were wanting when it came to the, the perfection that God had loaded up on this side of the scale. And so what did he do? He said, here. Here's my perfection. And we could put that on the other end of the scale and it matched perfectly. That we aren't wanting. No tackle. And what, what more could we want as, as followers of Christ but then to have that assurance that our righteousness does in fact match every one of God's demands because Jesus has put his righteousness on our side of the scale for us. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the, have the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus applied to our account. And so not only do we not have Perez, we're not divided from his kingdom, not only do we also have righteousness, then we go back to that many. Our days are numbered. That one still stands, doesn't it? We heard it in the psalm, we hear it here. 
Yes, our days are still numbered. But now we get a reading lesson. Because of Jesus, we can read that handwriting on the wall just a little bit differently. Instead of seeing it saying, your days are numbered, maybe another way to translate it is, oh, I'm counting down the days. Same phraseology, but a whole different tone, isn't it? Counting down the days, that's excitement. Instead of dread for the end, we can look with excitement to the finish. Excitement for yet another introduction. A day when we're going to be introduced to Jesus. Face to face. Because as we heard before, he wrote our names on the book of life. He wrote his name in your heart. Waters of baptism through his word. And so yes, we, we don't have to worry that the handwriting on the wall says our days are numbered. We can celebrate. The handwriting on the wall says we can count down the days. Amen. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding,